Hey everyone, uh, Tyler here. This is a slightly different type of episode. Um, so for the most part, we like to do deep dives on specific topics each week on this podcast, uh, but we realize there's a lot of context necessary to understand like the issues we're dealing with and our philosophies on business and stuff like that. So we decided we're going to do two special episodes. One's going to be basically Rick interviewing me so that you can get to know my background and story and kind of my belief system. And then we're going to do the reverse. We're going to do a different one where I'm interviewing Rick. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll be back to the normal format soon enough. Um, but for now, I, I hope you enjoy a little backstory. Okay, so let's dive in. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable startup businesses that are meant to last. Today, we're doing an interview uh, of me, Tyler, um, and my current ventures. So hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. And I'm Rick. I'm the founder of Leg Up Ventures, which owns and operates software companies that empower underdogs. Cool. So Rick, you are interviewing me today. Where would you like to start? I'd like to start at your birth. Oh, Tucson, Arizona. It was a hot, Were you really? Dry, yes. I'm oh, I didn't Tucson. know that. Yeah, I was there for like a year. Yeah, tell me your tell me your personal story. My personal story. So yeah, I'm. Uh, I grew up in St. Louis. Um, moved there when I was one, uh, and basically, um, you know, I'll, I'll focus specifically on how, how I got to the startup world, right? Mm -hmm. So I had no interest in it at all. I think everyone wants to have that. Oh, I was selling lemonade when I was a kid. I was a hustler. I didn't have anything like that. Uh, basically I went to college and had no clue what to major in. And my brother told me to do electrical engineering, which was a disaster. There's so much math involved and I sucked at it. So I kind of switched to computer science just on a whim. What year? Um, well, they, they forced me to take a computer science class my freshman year, just to meet the requirements for electrical engineering. I went to my advisor and I was like, I promise you, I will never code. I hate computers. Don't make me take this class. It's a complete waste of time. My advisor was like, no, you have to take it. And I took it and I just loved it. So I didn't switch freshman year, but that was really the start right away. Um, and then I worked as a student web developer for the business school that summer and then kind of did internships and stuff. And I, di I didn't particularly love classes, but I loved the process outside of school, like building personal websites. Like I was in bands and I made a message board for our heavy metal band, Embers Rise. <laughs> You know, just fun projects. <laughs> where where can I find a, a copy or a, 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 a streaming song of Embers Rise? Is Embers that... Rise. I think there's another band called Embers Rise now. So if you Google it, you'll find a band, but that it's not mine. Uh, my Dropbox is the only place to find recordings. I'm going to have to find one of those <laughs> and publish it on yeah. starttolast.com. We'll, we'll see if that happens or not. Um, but yeah, so I, I kind of was more of a hobbyist, even though I was majoring in computer science, I was never good at the academic side of it, but I was kind of a hobbyist. Uh, and that's where I really developed a passion for building software. Um, what, yeah. So what happened after college? So this is when I met you, as you know. So I was actually supposed to do a fifth year. I was in a bachelor's, master's program. And during the fifth year, uh, a friend from high school Tom Elgin reached out to me and was like, hey, I live in this place called Park City, Utah, which I'd never heard of before. It's a ski town in Utah. Uh, and there's a startup here that's like about to go, like it's about to explode. It's about to be hugely successful. And I actually, at the time, because I wasn't good at school, I, mean, I wasn't terrible, but I was like a B minus student, you know, 
uh, I didn't have a lot of confidence in my professional capabilities. And I thought this might be the only chance I have in my whole life to just ride other people's coattails to success. So I, I wouldn't say exactly dropped out. Like I ended up getting my bachelor's cause I had finished the requirements for it, but I left school in the middle of the semester, drove to Utah and started working at this tech startup called Zane Benefits. What um, year is this? This was 2007. Okay. Which for, for people who were around back then was a interesting year to enter the workforce because for that first year, things were pretty normal, right? You, you joined at the same time. Um, I, for the first year at this company, it was a normal venture backed startup. They just raised, what was it, a series A or a seed or something? They called it a series A. I think it was $3 million. Yeah. Um, so I was just like an entry level programmer. I had bosses and I was just kind of learning the normal corporate world. And then I assume we'll talk about this when, when I interview you as well, but 2008 hit and, you know, global recession and all that. And I don't know the whole, you know, the whole story a lot better than I do, but basically 20 out of 25 people or something like that got laid off at the company. And both of us were lucky enough to be survivors of those layoffs. And it was, I tell every, every person we hire, everyone who wants to really know like my story on entrepreneurship, this was the defining moment because we showed up the next day to work and there was like our bosses had been fired, right? Like the CEO fired himself. So we just showed up and we're like, well, I guess we're in charge of the company now, right? <laughs> I don't know if, did we realize that at the time? Oh yeah. Yeah. We yeah. Were just I, like nobody else here is gonna like care enough to like, we should just take over. Basically. Yeah. And I, I remember, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but you and I had proposed a new direction for the business mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, six months earlier or so. And it had just been flat out like rejected <laughs> as a dumb idea. Right. And so we basically pulled that, our work out and, yeah, let's do and it. the founders like do whatever you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did it. Yeah. So. For the next year, basically, we had no official power, but we were effectively running this company. It was an interesting blend of like, A, about to die, but B, it had like the infrastructure of a real venture-backed company. So we were sort of getting the experience of being co-founders of a company, mm-hmm. which is not something I ever aspired to do or anything like that. But after a year of doing that, I was like, this this is awesome. Like, I love the work. I like the challenge. But wouldn't it be interesting if I actually had some kind of official power here and not just like on paper, I was still just an entry-level software developer, right? As And you were an entry-level salesperson. Yep. Um, so in 2009, uh, my brother uh, Bracken is like all around probably the most talented person. I know like he has a PhD from MIT, just really, really smart guy. I'd always, for, for that whole year, I'd been telling myself, if he ever comes to me and wants to start a business, I don't care what the idea is, I'm doing it for sure. And so he did, he had an idea. He came to me and I was like, let's do it. Let's start a business. Like two days later, we were like, that was a stupid idea. So we abandoned the idea, but we were already committed. So in 2009, we started what is now Less Annoying CRM. That's so cool. <laughs> it's weird looking back on it because, you know, you make these like spur of the moment decisions and then here we are 10 years later and that was a pretty big one. <laughs> were you scared uh, to, to leave? I remember when you left Zane Benefits, did, was that a big decision for you? Were you scared? I wouldn't say scared. It was a big decision since I liked working with you and I, I really believed that we were on the right track and I liked the work. But I think entrepreneurs, there are a set of different skills that you don't have to have all of them, but you know, there's kind of like a Venn diagram type of thing. Um, <coughs> I think that fear has never been a problem for me. Like I'm very privileged. I knew my family would take care of me. Like I, I wasn't going to be homeless at the end of this. I'm very lucky in that way. I always, I think too many people are have that privilege and are afraid to take advantage of it. 
I was not particularly nervous about like if something went wrong, I'd just go get another job, whatever. <laughs> yep. Yep. So what, how, how did that go? Like what, where did you, how'd you guys get started? Yeah. So I moved from Park City uh, to San Francisco. Everyone who hears this thinks, oh, you're starting a company, you moved to San Francisco because that's where all the startups are. I was like such an idiot at the time. I didn't even realize that. Just I had friends in San Francisco. I didn't know it was like a tech place. Um, so I moved to San Francisco, got this tiny little studio apartment and my brother was and still is in Boston. So for the first quite for quite a while, we worked kind of remotely um, and we just got started. You know, neither We're both technical. So uh, he does kind of DevOps, like server side, like kind of infrastructure stuff. And I do everything from backend engineering, like full stack all the way through. At the time, I was doing a lot of marketing and customer service, just whatever needed to get done. So we just started like there was no business plan. There was no this was before like customer interviews were maybe it existed. I'd never heard of it before. We didn't do any real validation. We just started building a product. Well, you had some validation that there was a problem from your time at Zane Benefits, right? That's true. Yeah. So as you can probably tell from the name, Less Annoying CRM is a CRM, a customer relationship management tool. At Zane Benefits, part one of those ideas you were talking about that we pitched before everyone got laid off and then we ended up doing was we built a CRM for insurance agents to sell our product um, just to make them more efficient resellers of our product, right? Yep. That's how I remember it anyway. Um, and yeah, they the insurance agents, this, this was not meant to be a general purpose CRM. It was meant to be enter your leads in here and when they're ready to buy our product, hit this button and we'll sell it to them. They, they came to us and said, I would love to just use this as like, they had never heard of CRMs before, basically, right? Some of them were paying us $1,000 a month to use the CRM. Yeah. <laughs> That's sad, but like pro- probably, yeah, probably one or two of them were. Yeah. And and I, I remember we were getting, I think we were getting more features, uh, feature requests from the CRM users than we were our actual product users. Yeah. And I believe I went to you and you were the main connection of the board directors, but I was like, we should become a CRM company. And you guys made the right decision, which was like, no, what? <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah, I actually decided to start Less Annoying CRM with my brother. We, we called it Less Annoying Software because we didn't know what we were going to build. Uh, the company started before we knew CRM was what we were going to build. But in retrospect, after we got going, looking back at it, it was like, oh yeah, there's. we know that there's demand for the, like a really simple CRM that's way simpler than like an insurance agent could never use Salesforce, right? They, they're not sophisticated enough, nor would it even help them. Well, let's. Um, I, I have some insurance agent friends out there. Some of the, some of you are sophisticated. Okay, and mo- I don't mean mo- that as a dig. I'm mo- not sophisticated. Most enough. most of you uh, aren't. <laughs> well, because I had to set up Salesforce at Zane Benefits. That was one of my jobs as like the de facto IT person. And I, a, it took a month of full time work. And B, I believe as soon as I left, you just went in and replaced it all because I did it poorly. You had to redo it all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was like, I have a degree in computer science. I think I'm reasonably intelligent with technology. I can't figure this out. A typical small business has no shot. Yeah, and if you at the time, if you search Salesforce online, there was an, enough people saying this sucks uh, <laughs> that there was a business opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, like we, uh, one of the things that was really important in that decision to start Less Annoying CRM. I loved working at Zane Benefits, but one of the constant struggles that I wasn't thrilled with was you and I would have ideas uh, and then the board of directors would kind of say, no, uh, that's not what we're going to do. And in many ways, they're they probably right. Like we were dumb kids, so I don't begrudge them that. But I was like, if I'm running my own business, I don't want to be at the whims of someone else to tell me what I can and can't do. 
So it was really, really important from day one to, to bootstrap it, to be entirely self-funded. So for the first three and a half years, uh, you were kind enough to let me consult at Zane Benefits 20 hours a week. So that was, that was my paying my bills, was kind of working for Zane Benefits still. My brother was finishing up a PhD and then worked at a biotech startup. So we were both working other jobs while we built Lesson Wing CRM and kind of grew it. That's great. So you you basically part time found like you had a this was a moonlight project. Yeah, kind of. Kind of. I'd say for Bracken it was he he was full time on the other thing and part time on this. I'd say I was full time on Less Annoying CRM and part time on Zane. But I was putting in at least forty hours a week. But definitely I could have moved faster if I had been able to devote my full time to it. But in retrospect, I'm really glad I didn't take that risk because. You know, you hear these startup stories about someone starts and six months later, they're making $100,000 a year in revenue. We had 10 paying users six months after launch. We charged $10 a month. So we had $100 a month in revenue six months after launch. We had 50 a year in. So we were making 500. So if if we had uh, not done this kind of side hustle thing, we almost certainly would have had to shut down before we ever got to like ramen profitability. Makes sense. Yeah. I, I do sometimes wonder, like, could I do that again? Like, I'm 34 now. I was 24 then. It required a level of energy that I'm not sure I'm not sure I have in my 30s. But at the time, it was definitely the right move. Well, you're going to run less annoying CRM for the rest of your life, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to. But I, you know, you you sometimes wonder, like, do I have what it takes? And I'm kind of like, no, probably not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> Hustling uh, is harder. Yeah. Yeah, I, there's all these serial entrepreneurs out here who just want to like hop from one thing to the next. I'm like, I kind of like won the lottery on the, not, not that it's like that big of a success, but there's a lot of luck in anything working. And the fact that it's still around after 10 years, I'm like, there's no way I'm risking trying it again when I could just keep running this thing. You know, So six months, uh, five users, 10, uh, 12 months, one year, mm-hmm. uh, 10 users, uh, 50, 50, 50, users. 50 users. Okay. Yeah. So that's a good trajectory yeah, and that was almost all at the end of the year okay we, we were actually at seven users i looked this up because yesterday one of my customers who was our customer number seven messaged me on linkedin and was like hey just want to let you know i'm still using you and i looked it up and yeah we were at seven users in october uh so like 10 10 months into the launch that's so cool <laughs> and so what what happened from there so yeah we um two years so basically we, we brack and i are both technical product people. So we, we very much focused on making the product as good as we could. We did a little marketing, but I wouldn't say that was ever a strength of ours. But we built up to the point where we had enough customers paying us $10 per, per user per month uh, that we were making maybe 5,000 monthly recurring revenue two years in. And that's at a point where you can't pay a full-time salary super comfortably, but you know it would be enough for one of us to go full-time if we wanted. Uh, instead though, we looked around and we said, we're both fairly productive as we are, maybe it would be better to hire an employee to come in and take over all the customer service stuff so we can focus on product. It was just kind of the math, like running through the scenarios in our head. Do we move the business forward more with one of us having full-time work or do we move forward more working part-time but having no customer service to do? Um, We decided the latter. So two years in, we hired our first employee. So neither of us were actually the first full-time person at Lesson Wing CRM. Interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. So that's a that I I haven't uh, that's that's an interesting problem of hey you've got enough money to pay someone mm-hmm. do you pay yourself or do you bring on more help more people to help you focus what time you have already yeah absolutely that's interesting it, it and would you do that same thing again 
in the time, yes. I, I think the what what the decision really comes down to is: Are you willing to continue sacrificing? And I was still so young, and I, I had you know didn't have a girlfriend, no kids, didn't own property, I had no responsibilities. So I was like, I'm perfectly happy to just keep killing myself, working long hours. It, it didn't feel like torture at all. I loved it. So I was like, I could, you know, become more comfortable right now, but probably less would get done. Or I can just keep pushing and more will get done. It, it was kind of a no-brainer when you think about it that way. But if I did it at this age, you know, I have more responsibilities and it would be harder to say I'm going to go another, because it ended up being another year and a half. Three and a half years in, Brack and I both went full-time. Okay, so 2000. 2000- nine launch mm-hmm. 2010 50 user milestone <laughs> uh so that's probably the, the launch was like january 1 2010 so it's really easy to do the math because it was basically new year's when we launched so wow. at the beginning of 2011 we were at 50 users and then 2012 first employee mm-hmm. full first full-time employee how many users would have been about 500 probably so, oh wow so 500 users and and then uh yeah tip 5,000 a month times 500 times yes. 10. It's really easy to calculate yeah. our revenue. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> $10 per month per user. Yep. Uh, so, so, and then, okay. So then 2000, halfway through that year, or was it a no, another year and a half? After another that? year and a half. So then by 2000, middle to 2013. Yeah. You, you and Bracken finally came time. on. That's, time. that's when I stopped consulting for Zane benefits. And uh, yeah, we were making 60,000 a year at that time, I think was what we could afford to pay ourselves. Um, that's so to me the company is 10 years old right now because we're recording this in 2019 uh that period in mid 2013 that's when i'd say we went from like this weird bootstrapped side thing to a real business and we started thinking we we probably need an office somewhere we need to start hiring people in a more routine way not just hiring my friends and stuff like that um so that was a a big inflection point for the business wow well um what else do you think is uh important part of that journey from, you know, let's just say you going full time to, uh, today. Mm-hmm. So the, I, you could, I guess you could interpret that question different ways. The, the way I interpret it is I personally have changed a lot during mm-hmm. that time and it's been shaped by the company. And so I can kind of talk through the ways I've shifted when we started Brack and I both, I think viewed this as a lifestyle business. We, no one in the whole world is passionate about CRMs. No one grows up dreaming of it. Mark Benioff. <laughs> I, I wonder when he got got his spark to just you know start the biggest CRM company. But we we never did. We were like, uh, this is really embarrassing to admit. Our goal was to make enough money to support ourselves so that we could work on a fantasy football website full time. Um, which in retrospect was so stu- I don't even like football anymore. But you know, I was twenty four years old. So in the early days, I didn't want to have any employees. And I didn't even want to talk to customers. Like we approached one of our friends and said, will you start a separate business reselling our product? You do, you hire employees, like deal with the customers. We'll just build the product and you'll be the sole reseller of it. And you can take 50% of the revenue. And thank God he said no. (laughs) I I can't believe how stupid, like this is just, if anyone's listening to this and they're like, oh, I don't know enough to start a business. Like I absolutely did not. This was the dumbest idea, but we tried it. And he said no. Um, But that just goes to show how little I wanted to deal with customers, basically. What was it? You just didn't like talking to people? Yeah, I just I just didn't. I think what it is, what it comes down to is I, like many people, do not naturally have empathy for someone I've never met before, right? Like you, you, hear, you read a news article about something happening somewhere in the world and like intellectually, you know, it's bad, but you don't feel the emotional suffering of that the same way you do someone you know. Mm-hmm. Um, until I met customers, I didn't have any empathy for them. 
I was just like, they, you know, I'm, I'll make a product, they'll like it, they'll buy it, it'll be a great transaction. And then not thinking, I just put my phone number on the website and the first customer called in and just like 180, I was just like, holy shit, this is a real person and and they have thoughts and feelings and I, I have an obligation to serve them. So that was one big change I had is as soon as I started talking to them, we, we went from being not customer centric at all to being like now, I think it's safe to say we have like by far the best customer service in the industry. That's not at all what we planned on doing. And what was it that, was it just feeling empathetic for your customer? Is that what changed? I think it's that and like I'm not a particularly ruthless business person. So if, if a customer asks you to do something and it's a reasonable request, it didn't occur to me to like do any calculus on, oh, like what's the lifetime value of this? It was like, they asked me a question, I'll, I'll answer it, you know? And eventually we just did that for long enough that we we're like, customers are signing up with us just for the customer service. That was not a plan, but just all you have to do is pick up the phone and that's more than most companies do. And so we were like, well, I guess we should keep doing this because it seems to be working. So it's a total accident. Interesting. Interesting. And yeah, especially we're on the low end of the market. We're as cheap as CRMs get basically. So our competitors maybe don't even have email support let alone phone support. So one big shift was getting focused on the customer versus just the product. Yeah. And you mentioned that you were going to go into fantasy football. That was the plan. <laughs> when, when did that change? Um, I'm not sure there was like a specific turning point, but there was some point where Brack and I both just fell in love with what we're doing here. Like we still, I, don't, I still think it would be disingenuous to say I'm passionate about CRMs, but you know, when you talk to customers and now employees, and they just love what you're doing, it's really easy to convince yourself like this, this is it, this is my life's work here. So I didn't have like a single light bulb moment, but sometime in the first few years that shift happened. And you're like, this is it. Yeah. This is, you know, this podcast is called Startups to Last. One of the reasons that name really resonated with me is there's a lot of startup podcasts out there and they all take this really short, you know, how do you grow for the next two years and then sell or something like that. And I would love to hear from more people that, take enough pride in what they're doing that they're like, I I'm committed to this for a long, long time. Yeah. That's very cool. It's very cool. So, okay. So eventually I think you moved the company to St. Louis. Yeah. So in 2014, basically we were in San Francisco, but we were bootstrapped. All of the advantages to being in San Francisco are about the ecosystem and you only have uh, access to the ecosystem if you raise money, basically. I, I shouldn't say that, but like you're competing with companies that did. So salaries are outrageously expensive. Nobody wants to work at a bootstrap company. Mm. So as soon as we needed to start hiring people, uh, it was clear we needed to move away. We considered a lot of places and ultimately settled on St. Louis. And that's where every, at the time we had uh, six people, counting my brother and I. Uh, and then everyone we hired after that, we hired in St. Louis. Mm. And uh, so how was that an easy transition? Um, mostly yes. The, the, the hard thing about the transition was we kind of had a remote culture and we, we talk about this in one of our earlier podcast episodes about remote versus co-located. Um, it's really hard to be both. Like we basically said to anyone who didn't, well, who we didn't hire in St. Louis, we said, we grandfathered them in. We said, you can stay remote if you want. Um, it's really hard to have remote employees when the culture is being built around an in-person experience. And so ultimately a couple of them moved to St. Louis. Uh, two of them stayed remote and didn't stay with the company. So my brother is the only person currently that's not in uh, in St. Louis. So I, 
it was a natural thing. I think it's probably healthy for the company that that happened, but there was a bit of a transition there. Yeah. Well, where's the company now in terms of size and where do you think it's going next? Yeah. So, uh, well, this is another, they partially, the, the two people who left, one of the reasons was the remote thing, but probably the bigger thing is when we hired them, we were four Xing year over year and pretty quickly, like I, I've talked to so many founders who are like this, they're like, oh, we're, you know, we're growing 400%, 500%. Now we're hiring people. That's going to go even higher. Our, our growth is going to go up because we're going to have employees who are specialists. That's just not how it works in my experience. Um, gravity always pulls you down. It pulled us down maybe faster than some startups, but pretty soon we were at a point where we're growing 50%. And that was not enough to retain two of the people. Um, Why not? A variety of reasons. First of all, like in terms of financial outcomes, it went from like, we're all going to be making a million dollars a year in five years to, you know, in five years, we should be at market rate, <laughs> you know, they, they just weren't in it. And I don't blame them at all. Like this was a totally rational thing for them to do. There were other things as well. Like I was a first time manager and probably didn't, you know, handle, there are all kinds of reasons, but they joined a really, really high growth startup. And two years later was not a really high growth startup, you know? <laughs> uh, so I understand why they left. But so anyway, you asked where we are now. So we've, we kind of came back down to earth at this point, we're at uh, 22,000 paying users, which comes out to about 2.6 million ARR, annual recurring revenue. Um, and this year, we're probably going to have grown about 20%. So if you say that to a small business, they're like, whoa, that's amazing. And if you say that to a startup, they're like, oh, so you failed. <laughs> so we're kind of in between the two. Yeah. So who who do you talk to, to actually that actually goes, uh, that's, that's like that? That's really great. I mean, a lot of people... So, so first of all, you hear 2.6 million ARR, and if you've never run a business before, I think what they're thinking is, well, I own 50% of the business, Bracken owns 50%, so I'm making 1.3 million a year. Absolutely not. I'm, I'm making less money than I would be making working for someone else right now. I'm not saying that as a complaint. I make plenty. But like, people hear that number and think of it as personal wealth. And for a business, we have 17 employees. The average revenue per employee, whatever that comes out to, I think that's 100, 140,000 a year. That's not a lot, right? <laughs> you have to pay their salaries, health benefits. You have to pay for the office space, server costs. The The margin on the business is not not great. It's like fine. We did this intentionally. But uh, people who I think haven't really been through it think we're way more successful than we are just based on the revenue number. Well, you have something that sounds like it's sustainable and you can be more calculated mm -hmm. with how you move forward to increase the buy. Yeah. And that's why like... That's why I'm not worried about it. If if we were still working 80 hour weeks and there's a 50% chance we don't exist a year from now, I'd be pretty pissed that 10 years in, I'm still making less than market rate. But instead it's like, we're on this steady trajectory up and I love my job and it's pretty low stress. So it's kind of the good aspects of lifestyle business while also having the good aspects of a startup, I think. That's great. Well, what's, what's next? Yeah. So we, we've been doing a little bit of soul searching recently because we realized that when we started the company there, like we didn't put any thought into what our goals were. I mean, we did from a product standpoint, we knew what we wanted to build, but personal goals, financial goals, it was just assumed start a unicorn, right? Cause every startup you see, it's just growth for growth's sake. And I never questioned that. So when we started, that was just the default. And now we're getting bigger and we're not, we're obviously not on that trajectory. And a part of me thought I should be disappointed, but then I wasn't. And so I've been trying to figure that out. Mm -hmm. So I think basically what's next is we want to fit into this 
mold of, I still want to be ambitious and I want to challenge myself the way any startup does, but I want the challenges and the outcomes not to be based on purely financial, like, you know, providing shareholder value basically. So we're going to, I mean, I'm really passionate about the product. Um, we've got big plans for that. The, right now we're a CRM company. The long-term goal is to become the only piece of software that a typical small business needs to operate. I say typical, obviously there'll be a lot of people that can't just use us, but not just CRM, but what if we could do project management and invoicing and billing and you know any number of other things so that you wanna start a business, you just go to lessannoying.com, sign up for an account, and you're, all your tech's handled and you can go back to whatever your core business is. That's kind of the vision for the product. The vision for the company, I'd say, like another one of these inflection points I had, I said I had the one with customers. I also had one with employees. I didn't have empathy for hypothetical employees until we hired them. And then as soon as we did, both Bracken and I were like, well, we need to like pay them as much as we can and, you know, have really great, you know, work-life balance and all that stuff. So we're always looking for like ways to improve that as well. Interesting. So to, just to clarify, when when you talk about uh, taking uh, some risks that aren't necessarily financially motivated, mm -hmm. um, what do you, exactly do you mean? And how does that, why are you interested in taking those risks? I'm assuming it is actually financially motivated at some point. Um, yeah, I think there's, uh, there's a quote from Tim O'Reilly that I'm going to butcher here, which is something like, uh, money is to a company like gas is on a road trip. Have you heard this one? Mm -hmm. That uh, you need gas to, to do the road trip, but the point is not to tour as many gas stations as you can. So that's how I view it. Like certainly money is a thing. Um, we can't pay our employees better if we don't make money, right? We, I mean, I would like to get paid better too. We can't invest in, in new things. So money is a way to fund the other goals that we want, but the reason we're doing it is not the money. The reason we're doing it is the other goals. And I'd say there's also a personal aspect of this, which is just like, it's boring to not be challenged. So like we could go into hibernation mode here and just be like, like our customers are super happy with us. Most of them don't want us to change anything about the product because these are not like super tech savvy people who are in it for hot new features. We could just be like, cool, we're just going to maintain this for the next 20 years and probably be fine. But that's not fun. So like, if I'm being totally honest, a big part of what motivates me and I think everybody at the company is just you know, we're alive. We might as well try to make it interesting. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Um, and I did have employees responded to that. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's challenging. The bigger you get, the harder it is for everyone to be exactly on the same page. So some people I think are more small business conservative decision-making. Some people would be more excited by the startup, like taking risks. But overall, I think like one of the things that I've learned, I didn't start knowing this, but trust is just everything, right? Um, if this is true with customers and this is true with employees, every company wants their employees to trust them, but they don't like go the other way, uh, or loyalty maybe is a better way to say that companies want employees to be loyal, but not vice versa. I think we've done a good job of this where even if an employee's natural instincts are not the same as my natural instincts, I think we have enough trust built up that everyone knows like they're not going to get screwed by this. This isn't going to be, let's take a risk and then lay off half the company if it doesn't work. Nothing like that. That's great. That's great. Well, uh, tell me about some of your unique perspectives on business that people who listen to our podcast will hear as we talk about topics. Yeah, it's, it's probably worthwhile to understand this bias because I like rail against a lot of stuff that would be like, quote unquote, good business. Um, 
I think there's this assumption in the startup world that the whole point is to provide shareholder value ultimately. And basically that's my main thing is like, don't. Um, I'm pretty anti raising money from investors, partially because of like the way it would impact me, but also I don't think a company has the ability to do anything other than the normal playbook if they raise money from specifically like venture capital. You can raise from friends and family and probably they're not going to pressure you to do whatever. But as soon as you have a professional investor on your cap table, at that point, they're your first customer. You can say your mission as a company is whatever you want, but it's not. It's The mission is to give that person money, right? Um, and they will like sue you if you don't. <laughs> um, or fire you. Or fire you. But then like, so it starts out with that, but then if you get past that point, it opens up the door for so many interesting things. So like we're bad as a company at a lot. Like we're not good at marketing. We're not good at any kind of growth type of thing. Um, when you're not, when you don't have investors, you're allowed to decide what you want to make easy and what you want to make hard. And so we've decided the things we're bad at, we're just not going to make them hard. So we're going to say we're not going to grow real fast. And for example, our price is too low. $10 per user per month is too low. Everyone in the, the bootstrap startup world would be like, your, your unit economics are terrible. Don't do it. But by doing this, it's a lot easier to make customers happy. So you can just decide. You can be like, yeah, we're going to make less money than we could. Uh, and I'm not going to stress out about having to convince enterprise customers to use us because that sounds miserable. So just across the board, I really like the idea of saying, what can other what what uh, decisions are other companies unable to make? They could not decide. We we pay our uh, customer service people. They start at fifty four thousand a year and get guaranteed ten thousand dollar raises until they're at one hundred twenty four thousand. No uh, company with investors could do that because the investors would be like, what what the fuck are you thinking? <laughs> So just like identifying things no one else can do. And as a result, we have like a thousand times better customer service team than all of our competitors. So I guess almost all the opinions I have kind of center around that. Like if you don't have investors to serve, you should challenge all of the assumptions that go into business and figure out like there's entirely new things you can do to differentiate yourself that aren't even options for everybody else. Yeah, there's a there, the dominant playbook out there is a venture capital funded mm -hmm. company playbook. And there isn't a whole lot of consensus around the playbook for bootstrap businesses. Yeah, yeah. Which is what makes it so fun, right? Is each bootstrap business can just go do whatever they want. Yep. So I'm, I'm going to talk a lot of shit about VC and that whole model <laughs> on this podcast, I think. <laughs> well, that's awesome. What else? Um, any other unique perspectives that you bring to the table? Um, I mean, that's, that's what comes to mind. <laughs> In anything you feel like I should be uh, disclaiming before people take my opinion seriously? Yeah, well, I think uh, I, I would say that you're a technical guy first. And I think, um, I think that brings some unique perspective to how to be a CEO. Mm -hmm. um, when, I don't think your temperament isn't the... Uh, you used to tell me that you, don't, you never thought you were the best CEO because you didn't look like me. You didn't act <laughs> like me. Right. Uh -huh. And then you eventually realized that you could be whatever. I don't know exactly what you said, but the mm -hmm. point is that you are a different kind of CEO. Um, and a lot of that probably has to do with your temperament and, um, you're, you're a technical person first. Yeah. Well, and yeah, to, to I can you, pull that back to the bootstrap. You, you always say I'm not businessy like you, Rick, you're all businessy. Well, you're, you're wearing a collared shirt right now and I'm, I'm in my, Henley, but yeah, <laughs> no, I, to, to that point, um, I, I, this is not being me, me being like falsely modest. I think I'd be a terrible 
CEO at a different company. Um, this is another great thing about being bootstrapped is I think we've built a company around the skill sets we have. Like I'm in Utah right now as we're talking, spending 10 days coding. This is not what a CEO should be doing, but like, whatever. I like it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, I also think this will be reflected in the podcast probably that you're more likely to talk about high level concepts and I'm more likely to want to talk about like very, very specific, like, okay, how do we actually make that happen? Which sometimes causes a tension between us, but I think it also allows us both to learn from each other. So yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah, cool. Do, uh, what about anything you'd like to, anything you think that, need, that you need to tell about yourself that we haven't talked about? I'm sure I'm forgetting stuff, but I, I feel like we're, we're 36 minutes in here. This probably is enough about me. So thanks everybody for indulging me here. Hopefully that adds a little context to all of my bad opinions on the podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Tyler. Um, everyone, thank you for listening. You can join the conversation on this topic and review past topics by visiting startuptolast.com. If you have questions, contact us via the website on Twitter uh, or on Twitter, excuse me. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas. That's startuptolast.com. See you uh, next time. All right. Bye.